Welcome to The Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. This week, I'm joined here by Dwayne. Hey, everybody. And Jenny. Hi, everyone. Oh, Jenny's here. Yes. Uh, episode three, we're really excited about this week. Um, we have a very special guest coming on that we'll talk about in a second. Um, but so far, we are just finished week four of our summer training sessions summer camps start very soon the new website is up delawareunion.com we can get all the information that has to do with our club you can also listen to the podcast on our website um if you're listening to the podcast on apple podcast subscribe send us um or give us a rating five stars please five stars uh give us a rating uh, and then leave us some comments. Uh, and if you also want to reach out to us, where can they do that, Jenny? Um, you guys can follow us on social media. So Facebook, facebook.com backslash Delaware Union, Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer, and Twitter at DE Union Soccer. That's right. And uh, new this week, we are now accepting free T-shirts for doing. Absolutely. Update the closet. I've had two new pairs of shoes coming this week, so I need some new T-shirts. There you go. Uh, Do you also like free shoes? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I think that was a little bit harder. I know your taste in shoes. That might be a little harder than the free free T-shirts. I am in the market for a new pair of soccer cleats. My uh, pair did rip after three years. Oh, no. So it was a good run. Three years is probably the longest... That's I never kept a pair of cleats. That's actually very, yeah, that's very impressive. With us today, we have the UD women's soccer head coach, Mike Barroquero. Coach, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, obviously trying to navigate through these uncertain times. So I'm waiting for the precedent at times to come back because I've had it up to my ears with the unprecedented. So. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we're very we're very happy to have you on. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Blue Hens. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what you look for in a player, and we're going to talk a little bit about you in general. Uh, so I'm very excited to to have you on. So can you give us a recap? You your you just finished your third season at UD. Uh, how was the 2019 season? You you went in with a you finished out the season with a 12 and seven record, which is impressive. Uh, complete turnaround what had been done in the past at UD. Uh, so how was the 2019 season for you? Um, you know, it's funny. I think you, you could see it from two different perspectives, right? Um, I think from within our group and, and certainly within our coaching staff, we've had these conversations. And I think we knew that this past season would be, we expected it to be a step in the right direction. Um, obviously we did things that hadn't been done before within the program's history. So, you know, maybe from the outside looking in, um, it looks like this impressive, this really impressive thing. And in a lot of ways it is, and I'm super proud of our players, but, um, I would say that between our players and our staff, we saw it coming because we knew what we were doing on a daily basis. Right. So, um, but it was, I mean, listen, it was a lot of fun. We had the fifth biggest turnaround, uh, in the NCAA this past season. Um, we had the highest ever finish in the conference for the, in the program's history. We had the most wins in 25 years. So, um, it was, it was a really fun season. I think from all of it, the thing that I'm happiest about is that the players have put in a lot of hard work and I am very open and honest about the fact that I'm not the easiest coach to play for. So for them to be able to see some tangible progress and be able to have something to hang their hat on and, not have the conversation just be like, Hey guys, we're getting better. We're getting better. But now they can actually look at the results and say, yeah, we are getting better. Um, that meant a lot to me. I, I was really for, for out of everything. I was happiest for the players, um, you know, happiest for them to, so that they could see kind of the fruits of their labor. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it was certainly something that we've been working toward. Um, but, but it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. And I and I've got I got the chance to uh, to to go to one of the practices that you had uh, before everything kind of went on lockdown. Um, and one of the things that and you and I talked about this before, but hard work and you just mentioned this hard work was, I think is the 
what I saw. I mean, from, from watching the players, um, can you talk a little bit about what hard work really means to the, to the, to the players? Yeah. So I think, listen, I think it's funny. We have uh, four pillars for our program, which are uh, humble, hungry, high energy and hardworking, the four H's we call them. And we put them at the top of, of everything. So we have like a set of team standards that we give the team at the beginning of every season. We have a practice plan that I actually put together and I laminate before every practice. Right. Um, every time we do video, I mean, those four words are plastered across the top of the video. I mean, so everywhere these players go, they're seeing uh, the four H's everywhere they go. Um, Cause we just want to hammer them home of like, if we do these four things every day, we're probably gonna have a pretty good day. Um, and I think hard work is one of those things that, you know, it's funny, right? Like you, your team can get better and you can work towards a championship and you can win the championship and there is the angle, right? I think hard work, it's, it's a little bit different because there is no angle. You know, you can always work harder. You can always be a little bit more focused. Uh, so I think it's this kind of elusive thing that we're always trying to chase. Um, but what I'll say for the players is, you know, uh, focus. Uh, in practice, what we're doing, whether it's our dynamic warm up and then maybe all the way through playing full sided at the end of practice, uh, you know, the focus, the concentration, the preparation, right? Like all of those things fall into hard work for me, right? So if we train at 7 a.m. Uh, during the season, so every fall we usually train 7 to 9, if you're not getting to bed at a good time the night before so that your body can be physically prepared, you're not working hard. Right. You know, that's, that's part of it. It's not just about working hard between the hours of seven and nine. It's about doing what you need to do in the hours in between to prepare yourself to be ready for the next seven, and nine. They all fall under that umbrella. Right. So I think hard work never ends. Um, hard work might be making the choice at lunchtime of what you're going to eat that maybe you don't want to eat, but you know, it's the right thing to eat. <laughs> you know that I think all those things fall under the umbrella of hard work. Um, so, yeah, it, it's like, listen, hard work is like an all-encompassing thing for our program. I mean, we think about it in everything that we do from what we're doing socially to what we're doing athletically to what we're doing um, academically. It's, it's, it really is this umbrella that kind of hangs over our program of um, let's be introspective. Could you do more, right? You're not doing well in a class. Could you do more? Did you go talk to the professor? Are you studying enough? Did you do um, office hours? Um, you know, you're not fit enough. Could you do more? right? Could you work harder? Uh, and right now my game's not where I want it to be. Could I do more? Um, and then I would say we, we try to live by it as coaches also. I mean, I'm really uh, lucky to have the coaches that I have on staff with me. I think we're all really introspective and we're never going to ask the players to do something that we're not going to do. So we're going to try to work hard as well and make sure that we are uh, as prepared as we could be. Um, you know, that we've done the research that we need to do on our opponents and, and that we know our team inside and out. Um, so, yeah, hard, hard work is really the umbrella that we all exist under for sure. Well, and I think it's interesting. We, um, I, you know, one of, our, one of our teams got the chance to, uh, to speak with you uh, at length about uh, core values. And in general, they, they came up with, with some core values over these last couple of months, they got a chance to speak with you. And, and one of the things that I think stuck with them was the fact that they have to live these core values or for the blue hands, the four H's uh, on and off the field. So how does that play into when you and your staff go to recruit somebody, what you look for in that? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had this conversation before, right? Yeah. Um, but I think um, for me, I think you learn a lot about a person uh, through the game. Right. And, and, and I think vice versa, you know, uh, you could learn a lot about how good of a player somebody's going to be by having a conversation with them. I, I really believe those things. I think who a person is and how they compete as an athlete are highly correlated. Um, you know, I, I always tell this story earlier in my career. I had a player who was, um, she had, I, I inherited a team. I was, I was a head coach and, and I had a player who had a, a lot of accolades. Right. Um, but academically was really struggling. So I had not coached her for not a day at that point. Uh, but when I came in, I looked at her accolades and I was like, listen, I don't have to see her play to know if she's getting all these accolades, she must be a pretty good player. Um, let me make sure that she's on the right track academically so that um, we can build a program around her, right? 
when I sat down with her, I'll never forget her response. She's, I, I put together an academic plan for her and I sat down with my athletic director uh, and this young lady and her parents and said, here's your, here's your academic plan. This is what we're going to do to make sure that not only you are successful on the field, but that you're successful off the field as well. And we can build this program around you. And her response has stuck with me ever since. She said, I don't know if I really want to do that, coach. And uh, that player ended up never playing a game for me. Um, and when I went back to look at the stats, I saw, you know, she padded, she padded her stats against teams where it was probably pretty easy to do so. Right. Um, but when the team probably really needed her, she never showed up. And um, I did not think that those things were unrelated, to be honest. The lack of desire to put in the work off the field with the lack of showing up in big games, I didn't, I didn't think they were unrelated. So, um, you know, I think you can learn a lot about watching a person play. And I think there's a lot of uh, honesty that comes out when kids play. So we sit on the field and we try to evaluate everything um, to how a kid reacts when the ball goes out of bounds, how they're reacting with their parents, how they're reacting with their coaches, especially when maybe they're getting feedback. That's not the easiest feedback to get. Yeah. Um, and then we always talk about at Delaware, the dirty work, right? I want to see how players do the dirty work. Cause that tells me, listen, it's real easy to take the shot when you're in front of goal. Everybody wants to be the hero. You get a ball at the top of the 18. It's real easy to want to pull the trigger on that. Uh, it's not real easy to track somebody down defensively when you're playing as a holding center mid and you got to go on a 30-yard sprint because you're getting counterattacked. Um, you know, or are you that player that is just going to win everything in the air? You might have no stats on the scoreboard at the end of the day, but every single attack started with you winning the first ball. Right. Um, are you that little cheeky center midfielder that gets on the end of all the second balls? Um, you know, those are things that we, that we look for. Um, because I, I think the key to success at our level has been being willing to put in the work that nobody else wants to put in, you know, being willing to win the battle of the stats that nobody tracks. Um, and you know, I think that you can see that in players. And what I would tell you on the other side of it, and another great example, our leading goal scorer this past year, uh, was a young lady from Maine. Sarah D'Apollonia, who, when we recruited her, I recruited her and never saw her play. Um, and it's, I think it's a pretty crazy story. I mean, she came for a visit. Um, my associate coach, Taylor Wilson, had um, known about her from her previous job at St. John's. Um, but this kid came on a visit. I was so impressed with her personality, so impressed with how she handled herself as a 17-year-old kid. Yeah. Uh, so impressed with her character that I was like, this kid will find a way to be successful. I, I, I'm, I'm sure of it. You know, I'm sure that she will find, she's just so, such a good person that I'm sure she will do what she needs to do to be successful. And within two years of coming on campus, she's a first team all conference player in the CAA. She's the second leading goal scorer in the CAA. Um, and I think she's just at the beginning of what's going to be an incredible career. Um, and I don't want to say it has nothing to do with me. I'm not a genius. The kid's just an incredible kid. Right. So um, on the field and off the field is correlated in my eyes for sure. Well, and I think, I think I had, I think uh, she was one of the players that came up to me and introduced herself after, after practice and said, hi, and just told me her name. And, and I, and I find, and those are the little things uh, whenever I get to watch a training session from anywhere or, or get the chance to just to see. And I, I like watching training sessions because I think you can tell a lot about a program or, or, or an environment. And that's one thing that sticks with me. It's the, it's the work ethic. Like you said, it's a dirty work, right? It's the thing that nobody really sees or nobody stats, right? Nobody analyzes that on a piece of paper that that's extremely important. So that, to me, that sticks with me because that tells me the, the, the players, when I was at your practice, nope, they don't know who I am. They, 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 it, you know, I came in one day, didn't get to come back and, and things like that. But the, the respect to coming up and introducing yourself and saying, Hey, you know, my name is, and then, you know, nice to meet you. Um, thanks for coming out. Like that to me is extremely important because that tells me that it doesn't matter whether uh, you win every game or not, that player is going to work really hard. And that players, I, I can probably assume, hopefully that player probably does the work off the field, like in the classroom, she's in it. Uh, you know, th those things are really important. I think that sticks to, you know, as we, as we talk to a lot of the players that we're, that are hopeful listening to the podcast that are future college soccer players or aspiring college soccer players, that's a, that's something that's extremely important. 
Yeah. I think you, you hit it on, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about how does a player react to a mistake? How does a player react to the, with their parents? How do they come off the field? Um, it, it, what advice would you give parents and players when it comes to recruitment? Like, cause I think a lot has changed over the last couple of years. I think with the new generations, I think the parents are not so much helicoptery. They're just, I think the players want the parents involved in the process now. They, they want them to be a part of it. So what advice would you give when it comes to that part of it? Yeah, listen, I, I think recruiting is, is a collaborative thing because I'm not, not, I'm not one of those coaches that's naive to like, hey, I only want to have conversations with a player. That's not, it's not realistic. The player is going to be having conversations with their parents probably after every game for all four years that they're in college, right? So we have to recruit family as much as we recruit the player, because I need to know, you know, the messages that I, that I, that I give to my players, um, is that message going to be echoed uh, when they go have conversations with somebody else, right? Like they go talk to their captain. I would expect the message doesn't have to be exactly the same, but the theme of the message has to be the same. Like we have to be all united in what we're working toward. And I would say the same thing with the families as well. Um, so, you know, listen, if I was going to give any advice, I would say, uh, invest in the process and invest in the person. Like, I will tell you that I think we won games this past year, and I think we're going to continue to win games, not because we focus on winning. We focus on trying to do things the right way. Right. And that's it. I mean, it really is that simple. And if you do things the right way, I think the wins follow. And uh, what I would say with parents or coaches, um, coach, the, coach the whole person. Develop the whole person. Because if you're a good person – you'll find a way to get the job done at the end of the day. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. You know, we all, myself included, um, we are all imperfect humans. We all fall victim to our egos at times. We all fall victim to our insecurities. Um, it's just being introspective enough to recognize that. Um, be willing to take responsibility for that. I think that's a massive part of, of human development is knowing when you're wrong and um, being able to take responsibility for that. And then growing. And, and so I would say, you know, as a, I'm a parent, I have two little boys. Um, but as a parent, as a coach, I, I coached youth soccer for a long time, obviously. Um, and now coaching college, um, you know, invest in the development of the whole person yeah. because, uh, not only are you going to set yourself up to succeed competitively, but I think you're just going to set those kids up to succeed in life. I think if we do a really good job of developing the whole person, our society is going to be better. Um, you know, you're going to enjoy what you do a lot more. Um, you know, you're going to enjoy being a parent more to your kids um, because you're going to be raising really good kids, right? You're going to enjoy coaching those kids because you're going to be working with a group of really good kids. So um, don't focus on the wins and losses. It's not about it, man. Because uh, I could tell you, 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 could, you could win every championship that you play for if the players that you're working with are not good human beings, you have lost big time. Um, and I might never win a championship at Delaware. Um, but if I am doing a really good job of churning out uh, players that just have really good heads on their shoulders and are able to make an impact in society in different ways when they leave, then I'm going to walk out of here with my head held high knowing that I did what I was supposed to do. Um, that maybe this little slice of the world is a little bit better because I was able to have a little bit of an impact on, on people. I'll feel good about that. You know, I'm not going to feel bad about not winning, not winning a championship. The, the, the success is in the faces of those kids. So, um, I would, again, I, I ramble a lot. I'm Italian from Jersey, so I talk <laughs> a lot. Um, but I, I do think it's about developing these, these kids holistically for sure. Well, and I think there's a, there's a book called Legacy that talks about the, uh, the New Zealand All Blacks. And one of, the, one of the things in there they talk about is plant seeds for trees you'll never see grow. Because uh, at the end of the day, the impact that you have on, on those players, you don't know what that ultimately leads to in the future, right? You, you're hoping that you're, they're, you're making them better members of society. But at the same time, those players could turn around um, and change the world completely and impact the world in, a, in and like you said, they may have never won a championship, but at the end of the day, the, the win comes later on in life, you know, the, and I think that's extremely important. And I think, so one of the things we talk about from a club perspective, especially with the younger players as 
social media has started to take over the world a little bit more. Um, what, what part does social media play in the recruitment process for you? That's it's multifaceted, right? Like there's, there's so many layers to that. Um, you know, one, obviously I think it's really important for young people, especially to recognize social media can, can hurt you. Um, you need to, you know, everything that you do is a part of your product, right? So as you're going through this, um, as you're going through this, you know, recruitment process, right? Your product is not just what you put out on the field, but it's everything that you are. Um, and so I'll tell you, honestly, like there's been kids that I have stopped recruiting because I've seen what they put up on social media. Um, there's been kids that I had a player who I, I pulled an offer from earlier in my career because we had a conversation about some questionable social media stuff and then the behavior didn't change. Uh, so I was like, listen, I, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. That's not what I'm going to be all about. Um, so I think the number one thing is we just have to recognize that everything that we do is a part of our product. Um, and I think that's the, I, I think that would be the first thing I would say, but, um, social media can also be a great thing. You know, I, I think, I definitely think it's changed society. I went through a process when I was younger before there ever was social media. Like I didn't get my first cell phone until I was in college. So, uh, Facebook came out, I think my, my senior year of college, right. um, so I lived, uh, you know, a childhood without social media. And I can definitely say that it's changed things for sure. But there's good sides of that, right? Like, um, I had a, a player who played, uh, who we recruited at North Carolina State and who played for us at NC State for four years. She was an All-American and now she's playing in this NWSL Challenge Cup with the Utah Royals, mm -hmm. um, Zierra King. And um, if anybody knows her she's an incredible person to be around but if you don't know her i would highly recommend following her on social media uh this kid is 21 22 years old and uh ever since uh she's always been an amazing person but ever since she got drafted by utah and now she's got this platform on social media she's been doing nothing but spreading love and spreading positive messages and i think making a positive impact in everybody that associates themselves with her and um so i would say there's a good side of social media too and and i would say listen we all know right now the world is a crazy place there's so many things going on we all feel like we're getting hit from different angles with stuff right um we have these resources i think it's really important that we use these resources to make to make things to try to work towards making things better um so i would say that's the other side of social media social media can hurt you but social media could be an incredible unifier. Um, it could be an incredible way to gain information, uh, to grow as a person. Um, and I think if we all committed to doing those things, um, we could really use it for some good too. Um, I, I just say, you know, listen, like anything in life, you have to approach it with a, a level of maturity, right? Right. Uh, if you don't, it could come back and for lack of a better phrase, bite you in the ass. So, um, but there's a lot of good that could come out of it too. And, and, um, you know, before we hit like send on a tweet or something, we just got to make sure it's really what we want out there and something that's going to make uh, ourselves and the world around us a little bit better. Right. Well, especially for, you know, it's an important lesson as well from coming from, from UD or from, from your players, you know, younger players, you know, local players from the local youth players go and watch your games. And then they, you know, they find a player they really like on the field and they go on first thing they probably do is go look them up on social media and figure out how to follow them and things like that. And that, that player has now become a role model. Yeah. Uh, whether they know it or not, the reality is whether they know it or not, they just have become a role model. All right. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into you as a, as a coach and as a person, if you're good with that. Sure. We have some really <laughs> difficult questions. There's a lot of, it's a lot of things to live up to in these questions. You know, you're in episode three of the podcast. So uh, I right. listened to the first two episodes. I know that Dwayne likes t-shirts. So I'm working on that for you, Dwayne. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there we go. Man, if we could, if we could get every guest to give Dwayne a free t-shirt. I'll be the happiest person alive. Uh, I'm going to get you rocking blue hand gear, my man. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's wearing, he's wearing a North Carolina coaching education shirt so uh, i have a wolf pack hoodie i went to school in north carolina so i have a wolf pack hoodie there you go where'd you go to school i went to uh methodist university oh yeah all right like hour south of where you were yeah yeah that's awesome man north carolina was great i miss it both of my kids were born in north carolina they were both born in raleigh 
when I was coaching NC State. So the weather. Yeah, I miss the weather a lot. I do. I, I have a Jeep, so I love the fact that when I was down there, the top was off my Jeep like nine months out of the year. So I, <laughs> I definitely miss that. <laughs> For sure. Oh. I mean, the weather's been okay. It hasn't been terribly hot. I think this weekend's supposed to warm up a little bit more. Uh, I don't think you get it. I think, like, well, you're from Florida, but, like, February, man, the Jeep top is off. He's riding around. It's a good time down there. Yeah. We would be training outside in, like, a long sleeve training top and shorts in February, and I'd be like, this isn't bad. <laughs> I mean, I still do that here in February. It's because you're a wild man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, so how did – yeah, but as long as I'm below 40, I'm good. Um, so how did you get started in coaching in general? Uh, yeah, just I would say just by luck, to be honest. Um, I was at – my first kind of foray into coaching was at, was at Rutgers University coaching um, a, the, club, the women's club soccer team at Rutgers. Um, I was trying to make some extra money, trying to pay my bills. I, was bar I bartended all four years that I was in college as well. So – um, I was just trying to, trying to stay in the game, make more money. Um, and I was fortunate to get an opportunity there. And I just, you know, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, the other thing I would say for me is that soccer has always been a very personal thing because, um, my dad is, my dad immigrated from Portugal and he had like, like when you, you know, the Dos Equis commercial, the most interesting man in the world, right? right? That's like, that's like my dad, right? He, immig he immigrated by himself from Portugal without his family when he was young. Um, he worked his way through multiple levels of higher education. Um, you know, uh, he uh, fought in Vietnam uh, right after he got his U.S. citizenship. So um, just had this crazy, this crazy life, lived all over the country, went to four different colleges because he was moving around with the military. Um, but soccer was always a huge part of his life growing up in, in Portugal. Right. And, um, so for me, when I was younger, soccer was the thing that helped me develop a relationship with my dad. Um, and he's an old school Portuguese guy, right? He's not the most open. Uh, he's not the most vulnerable person. Uh, and at times our relationship was not always good. We didn't always have a good relationship because of that. Um, but for some reason or another, soccer was always a thing that brought us together. And I remember being a little kid. Uh, before Major League Soccer was around, the only place that we could go to watch live soccer was we would drive nine miles up the road and we would go watch the Rutgers men's soccer team play. And I think from probably 1988 to 1996, when I was starting high school, we did not miss a single game. Um, and whether we were having, whether we were at a good point in our relationship or not, that was always the thing that brought us together. And um, so for me, honestly, a big part of it was, um, and I get emotional talking about it, but just being able to have the relationship that I want to have with my father um, and knowing that if I had the game and if we had the game that we could go watch or we could talk about, it was always going to be the thing that brought us together. Um, that really kind of is what made me want to pursue this and stay in the game as long as I could. Wow. That's, uh, that's incredible. I, um, I, I find a, I have a very similar connection to the game i think um when i came when i moved to the states from argentina i think what kept me rooted to argentina was was soccer uh i think i grew a bigger passion for the sport after i moved here in comparison to when i lived there which is somewhat ironic um and i think that's the that to your point uh the connection that i have with my dad now our relationship has gotten better i think since i moved out of my house when i was 20 something and one of the main reasons why we talk every day and, and things like that is because of soccer. We, it's a connection that we have. And I think that's, I think it's a power of sports in general. Yeah, uh, sure. But I think it's a, I think soccer, some, something about soccer is uh, it, it's, and there's a reason why it's the world sport. You know, it's a reason why it's loved all over the world. Um, it, the fact that, that you have that connection with your dad with, because of that is, is incredible. And I think that's, and I think that's what makes it even more important, the fact that it's personal. Uh, it, it goes back to, to the four H's. You know, do you live those on and off the field? And you clearly do. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk a lot with our team um, about, you know, it's not just enough to know how to do something, right? Like, like I could teach my players so I'm blue in the face how I, how I think the game should be played, right? Um, which we all know there's a thousand different ways to skin a cat. So what I think is – doesn't really matter. Um, 
I think the most important thing that my players need to know, though, is not how to play the game. It's why they play the game. And I think if they understand why they're playing, uh, and I tell recruits this all the time, you, you're going to walk into offices when you go on these recruiting trips and uh, you're going to talk to coaches that'll tell you everything that they do. Hey, this is what we do. You know, look at all the championships that we won. And I tell recruits all the time, don't choose us because of what we do. Choose us because of why we do it. Uh, because that is what sets us apart from everybody else. Um, and, and I would say that's the important thing. Like, listen, like any job, we have days that are great days and then we have days that, that are not great. We have days that are really hard, right? You lose a big game or maybe you lose a recruit or maybe, um, you know, you just have a hard day at work. Um, but if you can always refer, like revert back to why you're doing it and you have a passion for it, that passion will see you through those hard days. Um, so I do think it's important to know why you're doing something to have a connection with that. Um, and, uh, recognize that, appreciate that and, and honor that. I think yeah. that's important. No, that's extremely important. So you said you, you listened to the first two episodes. So, you know, uh, I think you know where this next question goes. Uh, so Dwayne so far, I mean, I think Brooks said like came close with the fact that he was, uh, he was GameStop before GameStop existed. But so far, the 48 hours at Hollister is, is winning. Uh, so what other jobs outside of uh, coaching or what odd jobs have you had or, or one of the odd jobs that you may have had? You know, I'll tell you something that I think kind of defined uh, another reason maybe why I've been in coaching as long as I have is um, I did what a lot of young people do <laughs> when they're young, which is I followed a girl out to California after I graduated from college. I did that. That was me. Um, I was one of those people. Um, you know, you're in a relationship. You think it's the most amazing thing on the planet. Um, followed her out to LA to maintain my relationship. And when I was out there, I left. Um, I was a, at the time a volunteer assistant at Rutgers for the, the women's varsity team. And I was like, you know what? I won't miss soccer. Uh, I'm going to follow my girlfriend out to, um, out to LA and I'll just get a job doing whatever. So I got a sports marketing job working with the Los Angeles Dodgers and, you know, which sounds amazing, right? Like sports marketing for the Dodgers. That's awesome. I was wearing a three piece suit, um, walking business to business down Ventura Boulevard in Encino, California, trying to sell VIP seats to Dodgers games when the Dodgers were awful. Um, so I would walk into businesses and I'd be like, do you guys have any interest in buying box seats to the Dodgers? And like, nobody had any interest in buying box seats to the Dodgers. They were terrible. Um, and I'm wearing a three piece suit and it's like a thousand degrees and I'm walking around and I, I only, I was only out in LA for nine months. Um, because I realized very quickly that at like that point, like walking around Encino trying to sell tickets for a really bad major league baseball team was actually the fifth ring of hell. And, uh, so I, I applied for an assistant coaching job at, uh, UMBC, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I got that job. Uh, my girlfriend and I broke up and I subsequently moved to Baltimore, uh, and got right back into coaching. So I had a nine month stint in Los Angeles, uh, trying to sell tickets for a really bad baseball team. Um, and which I can tell you wholeheartedly after hearing Dwayne's story, I wish that I was working at Hollister during that time. Uh, at least there would have been air conditioning. <laughs> oh man, the idea of a three-piece suit is—I don't think any coach, any soccer coach, any lifelong soccer coach—that hearing oh, the idea of a three-piece suit does not sound pleasant. It was the worst. I was sick. It was—it was—it was awful. For sure. Oh man, Dwayne, that might that might have you beat, man. I'm gonna say I'm gonna look up the records of the year he was working there, and we'll see if they were like you know 13 and like 100. <laughs> Got it. You know, it was like I want to say it was like 2005, and and they were bad. <laughs> they were really, they were really bad. Plus, it's LA, man. Right? Like everybody in LA has an agenda. Nobody, can, even if you're good, they don't care. So right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Dwayne, do you want to take the next question? Yeah. Um, so who are your three favorite soccer players? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, cause I've always been the kind of person that was like, I, you know, what question I don't like when people ask about players, like who's the greatest player in the world? I don't like that question. Cause I yeah. feel like it's so different. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, listen, I, I'm, this is going to be like total fanboy and you guys are going to be like, Oh my God. But I, 
I absolutely love uh, David Beckham. Love David Beckham. I, I love what he stands for off the field. Um, uh, I love the fact, and I think this is very telling about who he is as a competitor. Um, he won a championship at every team that he played for. So yeah. when you look at uh, Manchester United or Real Madrid or PSG or the Los Angeles Galaxy, I mean, this is a guy who, again, I do think there's a correlation between that. You know, I, I don't think it's just because – because actually, if people remember his stint at Real Madrid, he got benched for a while because they had found out that uh, – it came out that he possibly wanted to go to Major League Soccer. Right. And I think it was Capello, who was the manager at the time, benched him. And they went on a – you know, Real Madrid went on a, a complete slide after that. And only when he got reinserted back into the lineup did they end up going on to win the league. So um, I just think the guy is an unbelievable competitor. Um, I think he, he must – I don't know him, but he must be somebody of incredible character if success follows him the way that it does. Um, so I've always had a soft spot in my heart for him. Plus, I just think, you know, is he probably the best player to ever play the game? No, he's not. Um, but when you talk about pure ball striking ability, yeah. uh, he's got to be one of the top three players of all time just in the way that he could strike a ball um, and the things that he could make the ball do. It's, it's really remarkable to watch. Um, you know, so I've always had a soft spot in, in my heart for, for him for sure. Um, you know, obviously I coach women's soccer, so I would be remiss if I didn't speak about players like a Mia Hamm or a Michelle Akers, uh, because I just think when I think about the things that I love about players, when you, you know, the hard work, right? Right. Humble. Um, you know, I always think about a story when Mia Hamm got inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame. And if, if you guys have the opportunity, you should watch the YouTube video because Anson Dorrance did her, did her introduction speech. You know, the, the players, when you get inducted, you can choose who speaks on your behalf. And she chose Anson. And Anson gave a remarkable speech about her. Um, and he told, he told a story about when they started the WUSA. Um, you know, she was obviously the marquee player coming off the 99 World Cup. Right. And even though she could have commanded whatever salary she wanted, um, she told the WUSA that she did not want to make a penny more than any of her national team teammates. And I just, you know, you hear that story and you're like, my, my God, that's somebody who really, really gets it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them. Michelle Akers, you look at the uh, longevity of her success, uh, that 99 World Cup final where she literally was battling the elements and her health and laying herself out on the line to, to, win, that, to win that final, um, you know, I think for me, probably the most gratifying thing seeing that is we live in a male-dominated sports society, and I will tell you unequivocally that some of the most remarkable people I've ever known in my life and some of the bravest people I've ever been around have been females. Um, and, I mean, listen, look at where we are right now with coronavirus. Look at all the countries that are led by female leaders. They're all doing great right now. New Zealand just reopened. <laughs> um, I think there's something to be said about that. For sure. So I, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, mention players like that. But I think the great thing about our game, guys, is that there's, there is a player that can touch every fan. Um, there's a player that we can all relate to, that we can find things that we, that we like about. Um, you know, and I think that's the remarkable thing about, about our game. There's players that we all relate to. And I don't think there's any – there's any wrong answers, but when I watch players play, I love honesty. I love to watch a player and be like, that guy's authentic or that lady's authentic. Um, knowing that whether they're trying to win a game or maybe they're trying to help somebody off the field that they would approach it the same way. I've always appreciated that. And I would say that's why David Beckham is on that list. That's why when I look at that 99 world cup team and some of the individuals that were on it for the U S women's national team, it's remarkable to, it's remarkable to, to see that. I also want to give a shout out to one of my favorite players to watch when I was young was Tab Ramos, who I think is probably the best player we've ever produced as a country. Uh, and he was a pack alum. So when I was at NC State, you know, it was always nice to be able to say, home of Tab Ramos. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the, um, that's the, the interesting part about the question. When we, when we were talking about, you know, what, what other questions do we want to add? 
one of the reasons why we picked three favorite players was, you know, you, you spoke about that. It's hard to, it's unfair sometimes to say who's your favorite player or who do you think the best player was. Um, and then what we're trying to do is see, see if, how many players we can get to without having to repeat anybody. Oh yeah. And I think so far, I mean, we're right now we're, we haven't repeated anybody. Uh, so far, everybody. You're safe. Yeah, so far, yeah. <laughs> absolutely so, safe. Yeah, so far we have uh, we have not repeated any players, and we're gonna. I think we're gonna do a. Um, uh, we're gonna put a. We're gonna put a list of players so that way. I think it's also important to look up players that you might not know. Uh, look up players. Uh, watch. We live in an era where YouTube is extremely accessible, so your ability to find highlights of players from a long time ago, from yesterday, is is, is really easy. So. Um, Jenny, do you have the next question? Yeah. If you were to coach a different sport, what sport would you coach? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so that would be easy for me. Uh, baseball. Uh, I was actually a really good baseball player when I was younger. Um, I was a far better baseball player than I was a soccer player. But obviously, my relationship with my dad kind of elevated the game of soccer for me. Um, but baseball was just that thing that came naturally to me. Like I played cause I was good at it. Not because I necessarily had to work very hard at it. <laughs> and I think we were all teenagers, uh, you know, at one point. Right. So we can all relate to that. Like it's never a bad thing for the ego when you could be good at something. Right. So, right. um, you know, I played baseball because I didn't have to work very hard and I was, and I was pretty good at it. Uh, and I would say, listen, if I could coach it, Jenny, I would coach baseball. And here's the ultimate reason why, <laughs> because it is the polar opposite of soccer, right? I would, baseball is so situational and I would love to coach a sport for once in my life where I could give a definitive answer to something, right? Like soccer is all based on what players are you dealing with and what is their vision? And, you know, you could solve one problem in soccer in probably a thousand different ways, right? In baseball, there is a very clear right and wrong answer to every situation. Um, and I would love that. Like how great would it be to have a player ask you a question and you could be like, this is how you answer it. <laughs> like, this is the right way. This is the right way to handle that situation and not have to be like, well, if you do this, then you could do this. Well, if this happens, then you do that. Like, it would be so nice to be like, coach, I'm on second base and the ball gets hit to the warning track. What do I do? You tag up. That's it. Like, that is, <laughs> like there, there is a definitive right and wrong answer. There is no like 1A you know, one B, one C. It, it would be so nice to just have something where it is just like cut and dry. Like I would, I would love that. I'm also, I'm not gonna lie. I'm super jealous of like golf coaches and like swimming coaches because I'm like, like who? Well, who do we put in the meet that day? I don't know who's got the three fastest times. Like that's who's <laughs> right. Like who's, who's gonna play golf that day? I don't know who hits the best. Like, and you just look at a sheet and you're like, that's our best golfer. Uh, <laughs> so. I would love something like that, to be honest, where there's just more clear, definitive answers. Um, so that would be really nice. <laughs> Plus, you get to do hand signals, which you don't get to do in soccer, really. That'd be awesome, man. I would just be dancing in the dugout. I love to dance, man. <laughs> I'd be damn. My players wouldn't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I saw – I was watching uh, Korean baseball because that's what's on at 7.30 in the morning now. Uh, and uh, somebody hit a home run. And when he went into the dugout, they gave him a mini bazooka. And, and, like, he shot a mini bazooka, like, to the other players in the dugout, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, but, hey, Korean baseball, the funny part was uh, my daughter, we turned on the Korean baseball, and my daughter turns around and looks at the TV and goes, oh, it's baseball. I'm like, yeah. you're two years old. What do you, what do you mean baseball? Like, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, she somehow knows what baseball is. That's a word uh, to do. She should. She should be like soccer, right? <laughs> no, she. She. I, I watch a. I watch a. I watch a soccer show pretty much every day. Uh, it's really just a talk show from Argentina, and she turns around and goes, "You watching football? Football? Yeah. yeah. There yeah. you go. And Aww. then my son, anytime, anytime uh, there's a game on, he just walks to the TV and goes, "Goal!" <laughs> and then he just walks away. And then he walks away. I love it. I have a note. It's like the proudest moment as a dad. I have a note up on my fridge right now that my six-year-old wrote me that um, he was doing a Zoom session this past spring with his school. 
Um, and they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he, he wrote, I want, I want, I want coach soccer like daddy. There and I go. was like, Oh my God, that like my heart, Jesus. <laughs> Bring him out. We'll put him to work. If he wants to coach, we'll, we'll get him, we'll get him a job. He'll be better than me. No, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> hey, well, All right. Right. There's coaches on the sideline now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A three, five, two or a four, three, three. Oh, come on, man. You know my answer on this. <laughs> I do. <laughs> three, five, two all the way, man. Uh, three, five, two all the way. Listen, I, I think the four, three, three is uh, so difficult to play. Uh, and I think you see this even with our, our national team. I, I, think, I think you look at our men's national team. I think Greg Berhalter is, is a great coach. I mean, and who am I to ever pass judgment on any coaches? Um, but I, I really do believe he's a great coach. And I believe we have some really good players. Uh, in our country, and, and we, can't, we can't play that system effectively. Um, we just struggle to play it, and I think a big reason why is you have to be – this is just my philosophy, but in soccer at some point you have to be able to play vertical passes. So if you don't have players getting on the end of those vertical passes to be able to maintain possession for you, um, it's really difficult to play. And when you look at the four-three-three. I think the only way to play it effectively is if you have a target striker that can hold on to everything and then has a good head for the game of being able to know when to play other players into the game and not just hold the ball, but when to play their teammates in. Um, and I think that's just a really difficult role to play. And I think right now, if you were to ask me on our men's side, do we have a true target striker in the U S system? I don't think we do. I mean, I think Josie Altador is probably the closest we have to it. And I don't even think he is a complete, target striker i think we as a country are far more set up to be playing a two striker system and yeah. sharing that responsibility within two players because most of the time obviously you're playing against back fours and now you're talking about two center backs against one striker and that is not a good ratio for us as a country right now because no. we don't have one striker that can deal with two center backs uh but if you could put two strikers up there and you can go one for one with the center backs i think we're far better suited for that and um, I will always refer back to this example because I think um, <clears throat> Jurgen Klinsmann was an, interesting, was an interesting cat for sure with our national team. But one of the games that I always thought was incredible was we had these friendlies that we went out to in Europe. We played, I believe it was, I want to say maybe Germany and Holland. We played two friendlies out there, and he played dual nines in both those friendlies, and we won both of them. And I think at the time it was like one of the games, it was like Jordan Morris and Bobby Wood playing as the two targets in a 4-4-2. And just their movement and, and center backs having to honor that movement, we looked so dynamic, right? And listen, were we better then? No, I don't think we were better then. Were the players better then? No, I don't think they were better. I just think the system suits us better, uh, yeah. having two forwards. So listen, for me, it's a 3-5-2 all the way. I like to attack. I like to press. We play a 3-5-2 at the University of Delaware. We play an unorthodox 3-5-2 because when we lose the ball, we do not drop back into a 5-3-2. I mean, we, our wingers know that they're to stay higher up the field. They're to put pressure on the opponent's outside backs. We want to stop the opponent's outside backs from getting into the attack. So we really, across our back line, we defend a space that normally four people would defend. We defend that space with three um, so that we can apply pressure higher up the field. And Sebastian, like you, you were in my office. I think we spent like an hour and a half going yeah. over our tactics. And I shared with you, you know, we have a, like a 15 page document that we give our players. Yeah. That is the roles and responsibilities of the three, five, two. And it literally breaks it down by position. Like if you are a winger in our three, five, two, here are your top three responsibilities on the attacking side of the ball. Here are your top three responsibilities defensively. And we literally break it down by position so that everybody knows their, their responsibilities. It's crystal clear. But I think if you have two target forwards, you are really asking opponents' back lines to worry about a lot. Uh, and if you can then also release your wingers higher up the field, now you're creating these uh, four individual 1v1 situations where there is no covering defender, and that's a nightmare. That, especially if you have players that can dribble, um, you are putting your opponents in a really bad spot. And if that second defender does slide over, now they're leaving somebody to do so. And now that's where you can create combination play in the attacking third of the field. So um, I love the 3-5-2. And over my first couple of years, we really wanted to play the 3-5-2, but I didn't feel like we had 
the right mixture of personnel to do it. And this past fall was the first time I felt like we had it. Um, and it was like the perfect storm for us. So spring of 2019, so last spring, um, we were returning pretty much our entire team. We only had in, in 2018, we only had two seniors. So we graduated two seniors. We actually brought a freshman in early that spring, spring of 2019. So we had 24 players on the roster for an entire spring season. So we spent three straight months just working on the, how to play the three, five, two. And uh, then we got into the fall and I just thought it suited our, our personnel so well. When you talk about someone like Sarah Dapolonia, who was, you know, obviously our leading goal scorer, yeah. she's such a good one V one attacking player that now having a partner up top, she oftentimes found herself isolated with one center back and she was able to go at them often. So um, I, I love the three, five. So for me, it's not even, it's not even a question. If you have the personnel, you play the three, five, two, just because you can be so dynamic. You can be so dangerous. You can put opponents under so much pressure. Um, and I just think that the, the, the four, three, three is just so, I think it's incredibly complex. It's, it's, it's hard to coach. Um, and it's funny. I think a lot of times people are like, man, you have to have the right personnel to play a three, five, two. You have to have the right personnel to play a four, three, three. Yes. Um, in 2018, we started the season really well. We played Rutgers and Seton Hall, and we had two very good games. We had two very good freshman wingers. In the second game of the season and the third game of the season, you know, respectively, we lost both of them the season-ending injuries. And we continued to try to play the 4-3-3. And we had really good players coming off the bench to take their spots as wingers, but they just couldn't do the same thing. They weren't as dynamic on the dribble. And so we couldn't play it. We had to change because we couldn't play the 4-3-3 anymore. So I think just as it's, you have to have the right personnel to play a 3-5-2, you have to have the right personnel to play a 4-3-3. And I really do believe the key cog is having a striker that can handle the responsibilities. And I think that's really hard to find. Really, really difficult to find. Yeah, because it's not only, it's not only uh, can you take players on, is can you hold up the ball? Can you take on two defenders? Can you play with your back to goal? Can you turn once your back is to goal? And then, and then what? So you're you're asking a player to have a lot of different qualities. Oh yeah, that are that are hard to find. Sometimes you'll find one that has maybe one or two of those things, but having all of them is extremely difficult in yeah, general. And, then, and you have to have a midfield three that can work off of that yeah. striker that that are that are savvy enough to be able to work off that striker because that that whoever's playing as that nine is not going to have a lot of time. No. So they need support and they need it quickly. Uh, so if you don't have the most savvy middle three, it's hard to play, right? So there, there's just this trickle-down effect. And for me, a lot of it is, um, you know, listen, I, I'll tell you honestly, if, if I was playing a back four and we were playing against a team that had one target striker, I would release both my center backs to go with that target striker every time they were receiving a ball at their feet because the chances of the players around them being savvy enough to make penetrating runs through are, is unlikely. Uh, yeah. at our level at least so i would release both center backs and say just go just go double team that player and take the ball off their feet every time um it's hard man you're asking one play like you said you're asking one player to do a lot and i think we just you know it's hard to find those players it's really really difficult to find one true really good back to goal um striker yeah uh, i think that's really really difficult so yeah all right last last question you got five minutes left of the game. Your team is up one nothing. Do you go for that second goal, or are we parking that bus? No, man. You play your vertical passes, and you go for the second goal. <laughs> for, sure. Uh, for sure. I mean, I think, listen, the last five minutes of the game, you're up one nothing. That is prime time to get a second goal, right? Because now you're talking about an opponent who's stretched. They have to take chances. And if you have savvy players uh, in, in the attacking parts of the field, those pockets for them to find spaces in, or maybe their opportunities to stretch the field and get in behind are, are even better. Um, so I think you continue to play the way that you've played to, to have success. And I think if you're up one, nothing with five minutes left in the game, you've had success. Yeah. Um, so you keep on going with what gives you success and you take advantage of a team having to change what they're doing um, to go get that second goal. I, I really believe that. I, I believe you have to be, you have to be proactive and, and, and inevitably if you're down by a goal with five minutes left, you are naive to think that you wouldn't have to change. So I would say 99% of the time a team is going to change if they're down by a goal with five seconds left so or five minutes left. So now they're going to be doing something that is 
newer or slightly more uncomfortable for them. And you, and that is the perfect, they are vulnerable. Then that is the perfect time to take advantage of them. So then you keep doing what you've been doing, but now you just do it with a little bit more time, a little bit more space. And hopefully now you can do it a little bit more effectively. Yeah. Just ask Barcelona yesterday in the 94th minute. <laughs> true. Uh, yeah. True. I mean, that's, that's what happened to them yesterday. Uh, well, coach, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on today. Uh, we know you have a busy schedule, so we really appreciate taking the time and, and sitting down with us. Uh, we'd love to have you on. We'd love to have coach Taylor and coach Mike on as well next yeah. time. And, Come sure. on in. We'll just talk. We'll just talk soccer because that's the. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So now we're moving on to the MLS's back tournament. Uh, so far, the majority of the games or the majority of the teams have played uh, two games. We are. Uh, some of their teams are starting the third games uh, locally. The Philadelphia Union, two and zero. Uh, yeah. How about how about the Union two and zero? They're doing good. They are. They pull out a really good win against uh, Inter Miami uh, the other night, uh, which I thought was was impressive. Um, to me, the standout player has been Brandon Aronson. He's been he's been key for for the success of the Union. I think he's been very silky, piecing things together, connecting. You know, just being that connecting piece for them to go forward. And he's all over the field, too. He is. He absolutely is. Uh, now, the one thing I don't like about the MLS's back tournament is the mid-game interviews. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, it seems like that American <laughs> sport culture, like the basketball where they interview at the quarter, yeah. like football where they interview at half, like, at half, like, it just, like, that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. But you're in the middle of the game, right? Like they're interviewing the coaches right after. Yeah, they're interviewing the coaches right after the water break, uh, or hydration break, as it's called. Uh, and after the hydration break is done, that's when they put the headset on the coaches. So it's right at the game is watching. So you're asking these coaches questions that the reality is don't make any sense. Like, how do you team? How do you think your team is doing? Well. Oh, either we're doing okay or no, we have things to fix. Like no one's going to say and be like, oh my God, we're so much better than anybody else. Like we have no shot at losing this game. Like no yeah. one's going to say that, right? Or no one's going to say the other side and be like, you know what? We suck. There's no way we're going to win this game. Right. There's no like topics. Like, like you're saying, like there's no topics like in basketball. It's like, oh yeah, he has 20 points at the end of the first quarter. And like soccer, what are you supposed to say? Like, yeah, but see, but I will, I will counter that with the great Greg Popovich and his responses of like, what do you have to do? Well, we got to play better. Like the simple thing of like, this is nonsense. Like I get you're asking me a question and I know I have to do it based on MLS regulations or whatever it is that they have to do. Um, but to me, I thought it was not going to be a thing. Uh, I heard it at the all-star game last year where, uh, they started interviewing Brad Guzan in the middle of the game as he's playing. He was playing with a headset on in the game. Like he had like a microphone in his ear or like a, and I thought that was weird. But then when they took it to this, and I was like, all right, maybe it's the all-star game, whatever. Right. And then when they take it to the MLS's back tournament, like these games really matter. Like they, I don't see the point of it. I think it's irrelevant. I think you just let the game play out. Uh, except the fact that soccer is a 90-minute sport and there's two periods of 45 minutes and just live with it. Live with it. Yeah. Um, so, all right, we're moving on because that, I can talk about that for a while and I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's, let's... <laughs> uh, all right, so the NWSL Challenge Cup quarterfinals start today. Uh, obviously, there's only eight teams playing since Orlando couldn't go, so... All eight teams make it into the quarterfinals, so now it's just really a matter of standings. Uh, at the top of the standings, the North Carolina Courage, 4-0, only giving up one goal the entire tournament. Uh, so I think it's I think they're they're definitely the favorites to win. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they. I, so. I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I just don't see anybody really competing with them outside. 
of maybe the Washington spirit, you know, give a, give a shout out to the, the close to home, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rose Lavelle, which you know, is one of my, one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, uh, so the Washington spirit, uh, are in second place. So they, uh, they're going to take on sky blue FC. Now they play tomorrow. North Carolina courage plays today against the Portland thorns, which based on, again, for whatever it's worth, based on the standings, Portland Thorns. Uh, three, draw, three draws and a loss, though. So the Portland Thorns haven't lost as many. It's going to be a battle. So it'll be, it'll be a nice little match, I think. Um, so, so, yeah, so I've been looking forward to it. You know, if you have CBS All Access, that's where you can watch uh, the NWSA cha- NWSL Challenge Cup. I think the final will be aired on, uh, on CBS, and that'll probably be next weekend, I believe. So. Uh, all right, main of the match. Who do you guys have for main of the match for this week? Got my boy Ricky Pooch. Ricky Pooch. So if you don't know Ricky Pooch, he's I think he's like what eighteen or nineteen. He plays for Barcelona. Yep. He's an attacking midfielder. Um, he got pulled out of the out of the lineup I think last week. And, like, Barcelona was just, like, flatline. Like, there was nothing going forward. Midfield was disconnected. It was tough. They play a lesser opponent. He starts. They have, like, half of their starting lineup yesterday, which you immediately notice the difference. And I think it's going to be hard going forward for Barcelona to continue to play without him or someone like him in the lineup because he's just so creative, plays good balls into Messi, plays good balls into Suarez. He's just a good all-around attacking midfielder. Yeah, I think Ricky Pooch is, is the future of, of Barcelona. I think he, he's going to be able to take the helm off of uh, or hopefully fill a little bit of that gap that Iniesta left. I think that's that's kind of where he's headed. Uh, are, can we say that we – well, I don't think we can say it, but we can take – we can say we we uh, we found Ricky Pooch before everybody else did. <laughs> Ricky Pooch, man. In, in 10 years when Ricky Pooch is like – Winning the Ballon d'Or, uh, Dwayne and I are going to be like, we called it. We said Ricky. Started here first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You heard it here first. You heard it here I, first. You heard it at the Soccer Podcast first before anybody else told you who Ricky Pooch was. Ricky Pooch. Jenny, do your research. I will. I'll get on. Watch you some Ricky Pooch highlights. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Jenny, who do you have as your man of the match? Um, I picked Lindsay Horan's uh, header goal that she had, the diving one mm-hmm. against, uh, I think, what, Washington Spirit the other day. Yeah. It's all over the internet, in case you didn't see or anyone didn't see. Well, yeah. Got to gotta look up some Lindsay Horan. Uh, <laughs> you look up Ricky Pooch, I look up Lindsay Horan. There you okay, go. perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, huh. All right, so on this day in history – so, today, July 17th, 1994, uh, an important day, I think, in U.S. history as well, just because that was the final of the World Cup held here uh, in the U.S. Brazil wins their fourth World Cup, uh, defeating Italy 3-2 to two in PKs. Uh, that was a very interesting World Cup uh, held here in the U.S., Famously known as well for Maradona being kicked out of the World Cup. Uh, what? I was thinking Hand of God, but no, that was in like 86. Hand of God was 86, yeah. Uh, no, Maradona getting kicked out is uh, 94. So, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, Brazil wins it, uh, being coached by uh, Carlos Pereira uh, for the first time, uh, who's longtime Brazil national team coach. Um, with standout players like Tafarel in the goal, Romario, Dunga as a captain. Uh, and one little fun fact, do you know who was on the bench, didn't play a minute, but was on the squad of that Brazil national team? Ronaldo. Ronaldo. A 17-year-old Ronaldo was it. And, and for all those listening, we're talking old-school Ronaldo, original Ronaldo. Baldhead Ronaldo. <laughs> At, or, or as he's known in Latin America, the fat Ronaldo. Uh, <laughs> um, but we're talking OG Ronaldo. 
on the bench as a 17-year-old, didn't play a minute of that World Cup. But four years later, he would light her up in the 98 World Cup. And then four years after that, 2002, Brazil will go on to win their fifth World Cup and uh, having Ronaldo as one of their big stars of that World Cup. So, so Sebastian, where were you when Brazil won the World Cup? 94. In 94, I was in Argentina. You were in Argentina? Uh, yeah, I was only seven, so I don't remember that one. I remember the 98 World Cup. Uh, that's one of my first World Cup memories. I remember the, the 98 World Cup vividly. I watched the final, uh, the Brazil against France final. I remember that one. I don't really remember the 94, though. Me neither. <laughs> were you born in 94? I was not born in 94. Okay, that's what I thought. I know Jenny wasn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> oh, man, I'm the old one to that. That's, that's something we got to ask uh, Chad and Danny. Yeah, where were they? On this day, where were you? <laughs> uh we're gonna to try to get Coach Dan on the podcast. I think he's our he's our next he's our next guest or next co-host. Since we're down a co-host today, we gotta we gotta call his manager and schedule that time and get it all figured out logistic wise. Yeah, he's he's got a, yeah he's got a very busy schedule. So um, he's got some demands too that he wants. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jenny, do you have a uh, fair play award this week? Yeah, so mine's different. I'm kind of just going with all of Major League Soccer and how they've done the COVID testing for everyone. I think they've followed, like, really good protocols because I was reading an article the other day that they, like, redid their test and no one knew came up positive, so that's really good. Yeah. And that takes a lot of work, too, so I can't even imagine. It does. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they handled it well. They've, they've proven that they can – be flexible, um, have right. then FC Dallas and Nashville home uh, was the right thing to do at those times, and it's kept everybody safe. They've also, like, their bubble is different than what the NBA is doing. Like, their bubble is only, like, seven days or something like that. Yeah. Oh, really? Their quarantine is only, like, seven days, yeah. It's not as long as the other uh, sports. But you have to look at – you have to give a big shout-out to, to the staff – of all the games, they're they're doing everything they can and they're to keep social distancing. They're wearing masks. Um, it's been it's been really good to see. All right, so before we end the podcast today, Jenny, give us a social media where people can follow us, comment, like us, tag us, uh, message us. Uh, if you want to send Dwayne some free T-shirts, uh, let us know. Uh, so where can they find us, Jenny? Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Delaware Union. The next one's Instagram, so at Delaware Union Soccer. And last, Twitter at DE Union Soccer. Yeah. Hit us up on Facebook. Uh, if you have a free T-shirt for Dwayne, let us know. We would be more than happy to, uh, to take it. And then uh, Dwayne will take a picture. We'll, we'll do selfies. We'll do selfies. We'll post them up on the Facebook. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. Mm -hmm.